0: Alrighty, well, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4, as we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Exodus, and we're seeing really a great book, and, you know, we did Genesis, now we're moving through Exodus, we're seeing God's call of Moses, and he wants Moses to return to Egypt, Moses in Midian, he wants him to go back to Egypt to lead the nation of Israel out of bondage. Now, here's what we're seeing about the book of Exodus, and, um, let's see, we'll get the slides up. The book of Exodus is the story Of redemption, I want you to think about it We're seeing God redeems his people From slavery, it's a picture Of God's redemption of mankind That's what we're seeing, now God redeems man From bondage and slavery of sin, and what we see This evening is Moses as he Returns to Egypt after 40 Years, now there's a lot as we go through this In fact, uh, we, we're, we started Last time and we went chapter 4, 1-17 through 17, And then tonight we're going to go Verses 18-31, through 31, but it's really Amazing on, on what we see because he goes back to his father-in-law asking for advice Then he meets his brother Aaron And then they end up returning to the land So by the time we're through with the end of this chapter They're already back to Egypt To basically get ready to confront the Pharaoh And so there's a lot of things there As we look at the passage I want you to think about several areas Okay First of all we're going to talk about God's instructions to Moses concerning Pharaoh God tells him what to do Second is a real hard passage in fact, what we're going to see tonight is something that people go, what in the world is that talking about? It deals with circumcision, and we'll see it as we go through. And then we're going to see the return to Egypt, and how, how do we respond to God's goodness? Because we're going to see how Israel responded, and we'll talk about it as we get there. So let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. It's Exodus chapter 4. We'll start about verse 18. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you, Lord, for each one who has come. Thank you for the fun that we have as we come together and as we get to study the Bible. Well, we thank you for the book of Exodus We thank you for the truths that are there That you can uh, teach us That we can uh, know and understand Apply in our lives and then pass on to others Lord thank you for the, the picture of redemption We thank you that you redeemed us Through Jesus Christ That you the perfect righteous God Brings a sinful fallen man Back into a relationship with you Using your son Jesus Christ Who is the redeemer and the Savior, The Christ, the Messiah The one who died and rose again And gives eternal life Lord we just ask you that you would teach us now As we study. Help us as we look at Exodus chapter 4. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think if you think back about the Old Testament, I guess that's really where we are. But one of the most important people in the Old Testament in the lives of the Israelites, and this is, of course, a little bit further on up, were the priests. In our study right now in Exodus, they don't, there's not anyone selected as the priest of the nation. That won't happen until later. But think about the priests when you think back to the Old Testament. They stayed in the temple or the tabernacle after it was built. They were there to help the people daily in their relationship and fellowship with God. And they actually stood as the go-between between man and God. God, and they would offer the sacrifices, and they would help both for sin, both for worship, all of these things. If you remember, they would take the animal, they would bring the animal up there, uh, they would have the person put the, if it was a sin, sin sacrifice, they'd have the person put their hands on top of the animal, signifying that the sin of that person is transferred to that animal, then the priest would kill the animal, they'd put it up on the, the altar, and they'd do all of those things. But after the sacrifices, what would the priest do? He would have to go to a thing called the laver, which was a big bowl, and, and and they would wash, and they would be clean. It was a picture of cleansing, and they would wash the blood and the dirt and everything off of the sacrifices. And the, the picture was you have to be clean to serve God, that's what they're saying. So I did my thing. I have to get clean now. I can serve again. Now, before they could clean, or before before they could serve again, they had to be clean. And this really is a picture uh, because the truth is, before anyone can serve God, you have to be clean. You have to be in fellowship. That's what we'd say if we're going to serve Jesus Christ, we need to be in fellowship. Now, this evening, we're going to see something that is really weird. We're going to see Moses is on the way back to Egypt. He's planning to go serve God. God has told him to go, but you know there's a problem, and we haven't we even seen it yet. We don't even know anything about it, but Moses really isn't clean. And we'll talk about it as we get there because God, there's an issue. There's an issue dealing with the covenant because my, God made a covenant with the Jewish people. Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob. Jacob went down uh, to Joseph and then the captivity and now it's, it's uh, Moses. We're going to find it's dealing with the issue of circumcision. And we go, well how does all this tie together? And we'll see it as we go through it. Now realize Moses is about to go back to Egypt to be God's representative. He spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. He's been... Uh, uh, attending his father in laws sheep he and we talked about this last week I think if you said to Moses right before this event, how do you think your life is going? He would say well It actually started out pretty good, but it's but it's been a real failure uh, If that's Moses call and tell him that we'll hold up and, and we'll talk to him later <laughs> But if, if you said to Moses, what about your life? He would say it started out good, but it's really a failure Because I thought that everybody would understand that God had raised me up to lead the people out. When I'm 40 years old, they don't listen to me. I I kill a man. I'm in trouble. I just go back here. And for the last 40 years, I've done nothing. And in his mind, he would say he's done nothing. But what God's doing has been training him. Because for the first 40 years of his life, he was trained in the ways of the Egyptians. That's not going to be able to lead God's people. In the last 40 years, he's been a shepherd on the backside of the desert. That's going to allow him and have him be ready to lead the nation of Israel through the desert. And so that's what we've seen. So God has appeared to him in this burning bush. He's called him to go back to Egypt, to, to go back to talk to the Pharaoh. Now, for the last few weeks, what we saw was Moses' response. You would almost think... That if Moses thought that he had been raised up by God to do this, well, for the last 40 years, he's lost all his confidence. And when God says, I want you to go, Moses comes up with five excuses on why he can't go. Why he can't do what God has for him to do. And God gives five answers. Remember what they were? Moses said, I'm not able to do it. And God said, that's okay. It's not about you. I'm the power. And that's one of the things we learned two weeks ago. When we start talking about doing ministry for God, we say things like this. Well, I I, I don't think I can do that. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. God is the power. He says, I'm the power. Moses, Moses said, I'm not able to do it. God said, that's not about you. It's about me. I'm the power. Moses said, I don't really have the authority. God said, I'm the authority. Well, Moses said, well, they won't believe me. God said, I'll give you the signs so that they will believe you. Then the next thing, notice that um, Moses said, but I, I, I can't talk. God said, I'll be your mouth. How many of us have said, well, I, I can't do a Bible study. I, I mean, I can't I can't disciple really anybody. or I, I'm not very good at sharing my faith because I don't know how to say it or what to say. God says, I'm your mouth. Who made your mouth? And then the last one, Moses said, well, could you send somebody else? God said, I'm sending you. Bottom line. So think about those things. Moses said, I'm not able. God said, I'm the power. Moses said, I'm not the authority. And God said, I'm the authority. Moses said, they won't believe me. God said, I'll give you signs. Moses said, I can't talk. I'll be your mouth. Moses said, send somebody else. He said, no, I'm sending you. That pretty much answered it all. So this evening, we're going to see the return of Moses. Boy, it's powerful. And the three things I think that happened in the passage. One, he goes back and tells Jethro, which is father-in-law, and he gets instructions from God on what to do. And then we see the hard passage, which deals with sin and circumcision. When you get there, and we read it, if you hadn't already read it, and maybe you hadn't, if you have already read it, you'll go, I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. In fact, if you haven't read it, do you know what this passage says? It says, God was planning to kill Moses. We thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. God has just spent all this time saying, I'm sending you, I'm sending you. It says they get to a stopping place and God is planning to kill Moses. So, what in the world is going on? We'll see that one. And then the third thing is Moses meets Aaron. He goes to the elders. It should be elders of Israel, not just elder. It should be plural. He goes to the elders of Israel and, and uh, see what happens. So, let's see. Let's look at verse 18. This is where. Uh, we stopped. I, I do want to remind you that when God talked to him and gave him all the information, told him what to do, he told him, you shall take in your hand the this staff with which you shall perform. Something. Somebody brought me a staff just to show you the idea. We talked about it last week that it has the curve on the end that they would reach out and pull their sheep back. And also is pointy where they could poke and, and they would. Hit animals, move things away. And this 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 is something like Moses had. And God said, what do you have in your hand? And he said, I have my, my staff, my rod. He said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground and it became a snake. He said, grab his tail. He grabbed his tail and it came back to be a stick. And But he tells him at the end, by the way, make sure you take the stick. I want you to notice that we've called this Moses what? Moses rod, Moses stick. We watch in the passage what God calls it. Okay, we'll see it in just a little bit. And sometimes, you know, when we study the Bible, we begin to see these sort of these subtle changes on the way God says things and what, what he does. So look at verse 18. It said, Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go that I may return to my brethren and lead them out of Egypt and confront the Pharaoh. Is that what it says? Didn't say that at all. It says, Moses departed and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and says, please let me go back that I may return to my brethren who were in Egypt and see if any are alive, if they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Do you think it's a little bit strange that Moses didn't go back to Jethro and say, but God has appeared to me and he's told me to go back and lead the people out and so I'm going, if it's okay with you, I'm going back to Egypt and lead my people out. He didn't say that. He actually says, Uh, Could I go back and see if anybody that I used to know is still alive? And Jethro says, yeah. Why would, why didn't he tell him? And for, there's two things. Why would he ask for permission from Jethro? Well, you know, in the family unit, Jethro is still, he's the father-in-law. He's the patriarch of this family. And so Moses basically is asking permission for him to go. And when he goes, is he going by himself? Is Moses going by himself? He's taking what? Taking his wife and, and children, so and he he's, he's asking, he wants permission to go. And some say, why why didn't he tell uh, Jethro why he was going? Well, some say maybe he was afraid Jethro would say, no, you can't. Yeah, I'm not going to let you do that. That's too dangerous. Or maybe Jethro, he was afraid Jethro wouldn't believe him and say, oh, God didn't appear to you. That's ridiculous. So he basically says, uh, I'd like to go back and see if any people are still alive. And Jethro says, go in peace. Now, let me tell you about Jethro, and we're going to see him later on. Uh, it'll be after all this is over, and we get into chapter 18 and a little further up. Jethro is a very wise man. He said, We're well, going to find, I think he's one of the wisest people in the Bible. And Moses comes, and Moses has got all these people, and there's two million people, and they're all coming to him every day for questions. And Jethro says, Come here, come here, come here son, son, come here, son in law. What you're doing is not good. I mean, this is Moses. This is the guy that talked to God face to face. This is Moses who parted the Red Sea. This is Moses, and here's Jethro saying, uh, You're not doing very good. And he was right. So we're going to we'll see Jethro later. Jethro's pretty amazing guy, I think. And uh, so he says, go in peace. Look at verse 19. Now, the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. And he says, go back to Egypt. Now, the remember people remember who wanted to kill who wanted to kill Moses? The best they could understand, when he killed that man and hit him in sin, it said the Pharaoh had found out about it and was going to try to put him to death. Most believed that the Pharaoh was named the III. After his death, there became a man named the second. Most believed that the II was the Pharaoh of the Exodus, the Pharaoh that's alive when Moses goes back. We're not sure which exactly ones tie in. OK, so uh, I think in the movie Exodus or in the in the Moses of the Ten Commandments, the movie, uh, I think they said it was Ramesses, but Ramesses was not the one. He, he had a different time, but it was a great name anyway. So they used that. But uh, we probably think it was Amenitoph the second who did that. Moses has been gone for 40 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Many of you in this room are not 40 years old. Your whole life. He's been gone long to leave him alive. If you knew, if if Moses was coming back here, some of you'd say, "I never, I never knew him. I, I was, I wasn't even born when he was here." So he's coming back. Look at verse twenty. Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Now notice, Moses also took. Now how does it say it? The staff of God. It changed from Moses' stick, from Moses' rod. What do you have in your hand? Moses, I have a rod, I have a stick. It's no longer Moses' stick. What's it called? The staff of God. Because he said, be sure and take this, because there's gonna be, I'm gonna use this to do some things. And I think one of the most amazing things is that God says, I'll take a stick, and I'll use it. And I'll stake you, and I'll use you. And I'll take this building and I'll use this building. And I'll take all these things and I'll use them for my glory. And I think the greatest thing that we can say is that God has let us be alive and that he's going to take us and use us. See, it's no longer is it an ordinary staff, but it is God's rod that God will use for his glory. I think it's just the most amazing thing. So Moses took his wife and his sons. His wife's name is Zipporah. And they mounted them on the donkey. And they're going to go back to Egypt. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. He did that because God said, be sure and take that. He's doing what God told him to do. Now, uh, realize, and I I mentioned it a while ago because it's no longer an ordinary staff, but it's for the glory of God. The truth is, we're not ordinary. We're not ordinary. We're unique and special. Every one of us are unique and special. There's not one person that's exactly like another person. in this whole world that's ever been created. You could say, I am totally unique. Nobody else is like me. You could say the same thing about every one of us. That's why it's really strange when you want to be like somebody else. When you say, I wish I was somebody else. I wish I was like this. You say, well, you may wish you had some of, their, some of their character. You may wish that you had some of their abilities. But the truth is, God made you exactly how you are. Unique and special. Well, notice verse 21. God's going to give some information to Moses. The Lord said to Moses. Now notice, who is speaking to Moses? Okay. Tell me more about him. YHWH. This is all capital. So this is the personal name of God. The personal God is talking to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I put in your power. But I will, what, harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, we say, oh, that's not fair. God didn't say, when you start talking to him, I'll harden his heart and he won't let you go. That's not what he says. You're going to find out, we're going to talk about it more in a minute. Pharaoh hardens his heart long before God hardens his heart. OK, so God says, when you go back there, you perform to Pharaoh all of the wonders which I have put in your power. But I'm going to harden his heart so he will not let the people go. There's a reason. Go back to Egypt. The Lord speaking to Moses. I want you to do the things. I want you to, to throw the stick down. I want you to become a snake. I want you to turn the water to blood. I want you to put your hand in and bring it back out. Ultimately, when it gets right down to it, there are 10 miracles that Moses does in the presence of Pharaoh. We call them the ten what? The ten plagues. They're the ten plagues because they're gods. They're against... Go to the next slide, if you could. They're against all the gods of Egypt. I mean, you know that in that world, the Egyptians had gods. I mean, can you name any of the gods of Egypt? No, 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 not their actual names. The, The sun? The sun, Ra? The sun was a god. The Nile River was a god. Huh? The beetle, exactly, was a god. Pharaoh himself was a god. In fact, Pharaoh's son would be the next what? The next god, the next Pharaoh. I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, all, all kinds of things that were their gods. And basically when he says, I'm going to send these these plagues, these wonders that I put in your power, we're going to realize that those plagues and wonders were all judgments against the gods of Egypt. By the way, it's God's power, right? He he says, all the wonders which I have put in your power, it's God through us. This is how we do ministry. It it is not your power. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And so that's the way it always is. He says, I will harden his heart. The word harden means to make stubborn. That's what it means. It means to make stubborn. And he will not let the people go. Now, why do you, just tell me, what do you think? Why does God, ultimate plan is that Pharaoh doesn't want to let the people go and hardens his heart so he won't let the people go. Why? Just so it'll just drag out the whole thing? show his power, and to show that, remember, the judgments against against who? The gods of Egypt. When it's all over, the whole plan is this. There is one true God, and the Egyptian gods are not God. There's one God. So he'll harden Pharaoh's heart, um, and this is all to demonstrate God's power. If you look at the Romans, the book of Romans says that he he raised up Pharaoh to demonstrate his power. Now, let's talk about for just a second about hardening the heart. Because people get all bent out of shape and they say, poor Pharaoh, he didn't have any kind of chance at all. God God made him harden his heart so he wouldn't let him go. Now, I want you to understand something. In the story we're going to see, Pharaoh hardens his own heart ten times and God hardens his heart ten times. There's 20 hardenings going on in this passage, right? Pharaoh said, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. We see the sovereignty of God and the freedom of man. God is working in the events to bring about his plans. While God allows freedom to Pharaoh, God hardens and Pharaoh hardens. Now get this one. You're going to love this one. Pharaoh hardens first. It's his decision. It is not until the sixth plague that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. You understand that? It's not Pharaoh God hardens Pharaoh and so he won't let him go. It's not even until you get to the sixth plague that God actually hardens Pharaoh's heart. So who's doing all the hardening first? Pharaoh is. Pharaoh is. You'll see uh next week, Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, Thus God says, Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, Who is the YHWH? Who's the personal name of God that I should obey his voice? I don't know him, and I will not let Israel go. Now, who did the hardening there? Pharaoh's doing the hardening there. In fact, it's going to say it in a little bit later. So just want you to understand that when you read that, people say that wasn't right because Pharaoh didn't have a chance because God God hardened his heart and wouldn't let him let the people go. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And it wasn't until after the sixth plague that God it even says God hardened his heart. God will deliver a people of slaves from the most powerful nation in the world. And it's a great picture of us because we were slaves, we were dead in trespasses and sins, we're helpless in mercy, Uh, we we are uh, in helplessness, and God in his mercy and grace delivered us from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ. Very powerful truth. Well, watch. Look at verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is after you get there, he said, I'm going to harden his heart, and he will not let the people go. Then you'll say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, now this is coming from God, Israel is my son, my firstborn now he's using the nation of Israel as firstborn think about that Israel is the firstborn that means the chosen ones that means the the special ones the firstborn ones he's he's using the nation of Israel in that picture and 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 uh notice he says Israel is my son my firstborn now sometimes when you look in the scripture you'll see Israel is a is almost a picture of Christ but usually in a negative picture cuz it's sort of like Adam Adam is the first Adam, and Jesus Christ is the last Adam. Well, Israel is the disobedient son. Jesus Christ is the obedient son. He's telling Pharaoh, when you get there, you tell Pharaoh that these people, they're my son. They're mine, my firstborn. So Israel is a picture of the Messiah, the only begotten son. And the plan, of course, is going to deliver his son. Now, notice something carefully. Uh, look at verse 23. So I, so I say to, said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. See, Pharaoh, he's, Moses is going to tell Pharaoh that God's son is Israel. And God wants his son to come out of Egypt so his son can serve him. And Pharaoh is going to say, I will not let your son go. And God says, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. See, Pharaoh's firstborn son is a God, Israel, and the firstborn son of God is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So he's basically showing, okay, we're going to have a little battle here between the firstborns, right? We're going to say, let my people go, but you have refused to let my people go, so I will kill your son. Now, that seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? What would Pharaoh like to do to two million Jews? Kill them all. We're going to see the battle between the true son of God, which is being pictured as Israel, and the false son, which is Pharaoh's son. We're just seeing a preview. They're going to change the river to blood. They're going to be the frogs and the darkness and the death of the firstborn. And all of this is to redeem the nation of Israel. And it's so powerful. Think about this. God redeemed us through his son, the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from this present life, but through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price, redeemed us. Now, we come to one of the hardest passages in the Scripture. And let me say this, one of the hardest passages to understand. We just finished verse 23. Look at verse 24. Now, before we even read the verse... I want you to understand this is talking about circumcision. And you'd say, circumcision? Why are we talking about circumcision? You remember that God made a covenant with who? With, okay, started with Abraham, but he made a covenant with the nation of Israel, but he started with Abraham. And from Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, right? And the covenant had three parts to it, was it? Was it do you remember? A land, the seed, and the blessing. But God also gave them a sign of the covenant that they were to obey. What was the sign of the covenant? It was, what what was it? Circumcision. So the covenant had the land, the seed, the blessing. I don't know if the next slide's right. Yeah, The sign of the covenant was circumcision. In fact, Genesis 17, listen to this. God said to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you through all generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be what? Circumcised. Verse 11 says, And you shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskin. It will be a sign Of the covenant between me and you. That's 1711. I don't know if I put those verses or not. I don't. Did I? Yeah. What's next? Is there one? Yeah. 1711 is the verse I just read. This will be the sign of the covenant. And then is there verse 14? Okay. Verse 14 says, an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin will be cut off from his people because he has broken my what? Covenant. Okay. So what is every Jewish man to do? Whenever he has a son, the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is to circumcise your children. Right? That's the sign of the covenant. Now, look, to help us understand that, and realize Moses is under the covenant. Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob down to Joseph, all the Jewish men. This is the sign. Moses has been called to go to Egypt to be the representative of God to what people? To the Jewish people and then to, to to Egypt. And so Moses is going to be the representative. But guess what Moses has not done? He's not circumcised his boys. That's the sign of the what? Covenant. Now, is God serious about the covenant? Watch the next verse. Verse 24. Now, it came about that at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Who is the him? It's Moses. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. We... We've been spending all these chapters saying that God came to Moses, and Moses said, I don't want to go. No, you go. going. I don't want to go. You can't go. I, You're going. I'm getting you there. And so he's starting there. He's got his wife. He's got his sons. Apparently, at least one of the sons has not been circumcised. And they're on the way. And God says, I think I'm going to kill him. Why? It doesn't explain it here. It uh, it doesn't explain it yet. It said, now about, after what I've told you, though, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Best we could tell, based on what I've told you, why is God determining to put Moses to death? He's broken what? The covenant. He hadn't done what he's supposed to do. Now, How do we know that? Let's keep reading. Let's see what happens. They came to this lodging place and apparently, uh, God meets Moses and about to, to put him to death. Let let me ask you this question. Why do you think Moses did not circumcise, let's say, let's say one of his sons, maybe one, because it says sons, it says more than one, and we're going to see what happens in this bit, but let's just say one son. Why, why didn't he circumcise his son? possibly, I mean, one of them is circumcised, but, but, but could it have been, let me just say this in a nice way. Could it have been that Zipporah says, I don't think you ought to do that. I don't think that's a nice thing to do. I don't think we should do that. We don't do that around here, right? We don't do that around here. Because see, we're not really what? We're not really what? We're not Jewish. I mean, Moses had married a Jewish woman. He's married a Midianite woman. Didn't say anything wrong with that. They didn't say anything wrong with that. And so she said, basically could have said, I don't I don't like that. But now God has appeared to do what? What's he going to do? He's going to kill Moses. Watch. Then Zipporah, look, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. Zipporah takes action. She must take action. Why? Maybe maybe she realized, wait a minute, I, I, we've not done what we're supposed to do. I understand that, that Moses, this is the thing we're supposed to do, and we haven't done it, and God's about to kill Moses. She threw it. Notice, she threw it at his feet and said, you're indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. Literally saying, you're a bloody bridegroom to me. It almost gives the idea that she's not happy to do this, but she has to do this to keep Moses alive. Notice verse 26. So he let him alone. At that time, she said, you're a bridegroom of blood because of the (coughs) circumcision. It almost appears that she's angry. She didn't want to do this. But she realizes, if we don't do this, what happens to my husband? He's going to die. See, Moses was the disobedient one. Moses was accountable to do to fulfill the sign of the covenant. Now sometimes things happen in the Bible, we go, I just seems a little out of reach to me. I mean, it seems like God could have said, Oh, by the way, be sure and do that before you get back. But if you're gonna be the leader of the nation of Israel, you should be what? Following the covenant, right? You can't tell it here. But in this plan, who's going to Egypt? Who's going to Egypt? Who's going? Moses? Zipporah? And then the two sons. At least two sons, right? You can't tell it here. But they don't go with him. They go back. I think they turn around and left. I think Moses may have said, I, I don't think this is working out. Y'all go back and stay there till I get through. We're going to find that they go back home they don't go with Moses in fact as we read the next passages Moses goes he meets Aaron there's no mention of them he goes in there all the plagues everything happens it gets all the way up to chapter 18 and here comes Jethro bringing Zipporah and the family so with this event is a break and they they don't go with him to Egypt maybe Moses said uh this isn't this is not working the way we think it'll maybe you all need to go back and I'll just take I'll do this and I'll come get you when we're through who knows I think I've got that they they joined him later Exodus 18:2 and this is after the Exodus and we'll see that as we get to that part look at verse 27 Now, the Lord said to Moses, Go meet, excuse me, the Lord said to Aaron, Go meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him in the mountain of God and kissed him. Now, the Lord gives instruction to Aaron. Remember, Moses already told, God already told Moses that your brother Aaron's on the way to find you. Let me ask you something. How long have they been gone? How old is Aaron? Anybody know? Aaron is three years older than Moses. Do you all realize that? Miriam's about seven years older than Moses, and Aaron is about three years older than Moses. So Aaron is 83 years old. And you've been in Egypt all of your life. And suddenly you think, I need to go to to, to Midian and see if I can find my brother. Why? I don't know. I just I just got to go. I just got to go. Right? Has any of y'all just ever thought you just got to go do something? Well, I, Aaron is on his way to meet Moses. If you said, Aaron, why are you going to meet Moses? You haven't seen him in 40 years. You don't even know where he is. He said, well, I... I I don't know. I'm supposed to go to Midian. Yeah. I don't know, because see, Moses left. I think that that it, it, it it's sort of like, you know, a few people could escape every now and then. They could just leave because yeah. when Moses, Moses fled, you know, I think about this. And, and here's here's my thoughts. Well, you know, they're slaves, right? But Moses and Aaron go right in to see the Pharaoh. And they argues with him and everything, and runs them out and i mean and there 's plagues, and he calls them in and they has they have bosses they have they have bosses over the Jews, and then they have some Jews who are bosses over the rest of the jews i mean it's it's the weirdest thing it 's not like they 're in an encampment because they actually they actually belong to people because when they're leaving, they turn to their households and say, "Give me those earrings, give me that gold," and they take it from them. So it's it's a it's a it's it's not like Holocaust prison camp. It's they're slaves in Egypt and they move around and do things, but uh, it's just you know it's just hard for us to picture it. I, I can't picture it exactly. Now notice where they met. Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, uh, the Lord said to Aaron, go meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at where? The mountain of God and kissed him. What's the mountain of God? What's it called? Mount Mount Sinai's got another name, Mount Horab. Think about what's happened at this mountain. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, right? At this mountain. Moses and Aaron meet at this mountain. After the exodus, they come back and worship at this mountain. And on this mountain, God gives the what? The law. All right here. All in this same place. For the first time in 40 years, they see each other. Verse 28. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. He, he probably said, "What's this. Look at this. What's this. I mean, he probably showed him everything he said these are the signs that God told me to do, and, and we're going to go back and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he'd sent him, and all the signs he commanded to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. Notice anything about the next verse, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken. To Moses, that's exactly what God said. Moses said, I can't speak. He said, your, your brother will be your, your he, you, He'll be your mouth. You'll be his God. Meaning, you're going to tell him what to say. He's going to tell it. And that's exactly what happened. Aaron spoke to all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And he performed the signs in the sight of the people. He does it all. He does it all. And notice the response of the people. The people Believe. Do you remember what Moses said? One of the re- one of the things that he was worried about? That the people wouldn't what? They wouldn't believe me. And, and verses earlier, God said, they will listen to you, but Moses said they won't believe me. And he said, that's why I'm giving you the signs. He showed them the signs. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, when they realized that God cared and that he had seen their affliction, what did they do? They bowed down and worshiped. What was their response? To the grace of God in their lives. Because wouldn't you say it's the grace of God that he hears, he knows, he's going to deliver us out of here. What was their response? They worshipped him. Uh, do you have any, do, has God dealt with us in grace at all? Is every aspect of our lives grace? How should we respond? Worship. What have we seen? Moses goes to his father-in-law and has to return. And God tells Moses that the Pharaoh refused to let him go. God's going to, uh, basically, God's going to redeem his firstborn people. Zipporah circumcises the son to keep Moses alive. That's obedience to the covenant. Best we can tell, they go back home. And then Aaron and Moses meet. They go to the elders, and they believe, and they worship. So let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Let's respond to God's grace by worship and obedience. That's what we should do. Think about our lives. God deals with us in grace. How do we respond? Every aspect of our life is the grace of God. He has saved us, empowered us, protect us, provides. He's all grace. How do we respond? Number one, we respond in worship. We bow down in worship. I mean, think about You know what worship really is? We say worship is responding to God, but it's responding to God to who He is and what He's done. Who he is, his character, what he has done, his actions. We're saying we want to worship God, okay? Why do you worship God? Because he's God and he's the creator and redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. He loves me. He has died for me. He has saved me. He, who he is and what he has done. That's what, that's what worship is. He's the all-powerful, gracious God who has saved us totally past, present, and future. We respond to him in worship. That's the focus of the body. The focus of the church is we're here to worship. Listen to this. There's a guy by the name of John Phelan Jr. wrote this. He said this. Worship is not meant to please me, to make me feel good, to meet my criteria or my standards, my taste. Worship is for God. I'm not the center of worship. God is the center. How we got it backwards? People come and say, I didn't like that music. I didn't like the way they did this. How come they did this this time? I don't like it at 830. I'd like it at 845. It's not about us. When we come together, it's not about us. We come to worship God, not, as he says here, not to make me feel good, not to please me or my criteria or my standards. It amazes me when a person says, I don't like that song. I said, you don't like that song about God? It says he's the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider. You don't like that song? That's not my style. I said, well, there's a lot of things not my style. I don't even have a style. I got no style, right? And so, I mean, think about it. Worship isn't about us. A.W. Tozer said, worship is our preoccupation to God. That's what it is. We respond to God in His grace in worship. But there's a second thing we do too, and that's obedience. We obey. Moses got into trouble. Why? Because he hadn't obeyed. God basically said, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, you better stop. Because if you're going to serve me, you better be right with me. And you haven't even done the basic sign of the covenant. Moses needed to be clean. He needed to be obedient in order to serve. And we have to be the same thing. Bernard of Clairvaux said, my love for God results in my obedience to his commandments. Our obedience today to God will determine what we will be able to do and be for God tomorrow. So how do we respond to God? How do we respond to the grace of God? We worship Him and we obey Him. That's, we, we must do that. Second is we got to trust Him in the situations of our lives. I mean, you think about it. Moses and Aaron and I, they're all going back and they're going to talk to these elders of Israel and they're deciding they're going to go talk to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to, God says, let his people go. What do you think the chances of that are? I mean God already but Moses already said knows from God that God says, I'm he's not gonna let he's not gonna let you go. I'm gonna have to judge. I'm gonna have to do judging. I'm gonna have to bring plagues. I'm gonna have to show my power before he'll let you go. If you get a chance, read read the next chapter because it's so it's so funny because as they're as they're going through there and they go up to Pharaoh and, and they and they tell Pharaoh to let the people go and the people and Pharaoh says, oh, you guys have got too much time on your hands. You're coming in and you got too much time on your hands. So that, you're gonna have to find your own straw from now on. Cause you guys are just lazy. You've got so much time on your hand, you think you want to go worship. Well, you're not gonna worship because I don't know your God. And y'all get out of here and you work extra hard. And they go out and they find out that instead of having straw for them, they got to go find their own straw. And it's just a lot more work and they're getting beaten and everything else. And they go to Moses and they say, this was not a good idea. And Moses goes to God and says, How come you let this happen? In fact, ever since we've done what you said, it's not been very good. What did God tell him? He's not going to let you go and I'm going to have to demonstrate my power. Sometimes things don't go right and we say it must be out of God's will. Whenever you obey the scripture, you can never be out of God's will. No matter what the circumstances are, it's powerful. Trust Him. God's in control. We rest in Him knowing that He's working in all things. So we want to respond to God's grace by worship and obedience trust in him in all the circumstances of life. Let's let's pray and if we got any questions we can deal with them. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for the great truths. Lord, and uh, just so much there. We realize that you are the, the 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 mighty one and we respond to your grace as we worship you, as we obey you. Lord, we worship you knowing who you are and what you've done. We obey you because of of, how, of of your love, your great love and and your grace in our lives and that's how we want to respond. Lord, thank you that we can trust you no matter what's going on. Lord, we realize that is not really about us. It's about you, and that we can trust you and rest in you. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Exodus, and as we see Moses and Aaron and the people and and all of these things that are about to happen, that we just have to trust you every day. Lord, thank you for these truths from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? I know we went a little bit long. Yeah, Gary. I just, I've often wondered how in the world did Moses ever get in to see perhaps the most, most powerful man in the world at that time how does he ever get I don't know, but if you if you look at the passage, I don't know if y'all could hear the question. How does Moses, if, if if Esther took her life in her hand just to see the king, and she's married to him, then how does Moses have the right basically to go see the pharaoh? And you'll not only find, as we study this passage, that Moses not only has the right to see Pharaoh, but some Jewish leaders who are getting beaten—they're—they're—they're they're, they're controlling the groups, and then there's there's Egyptians over them. These Jewish ones come back to Pharaoh and say, "Why are you beating us?" So I, 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 obviously, there's some way that he allowed people to see him. Maybe, maybe as Caligula thought, since he was God. You know, Caligula said, I'm God, but uh, I've decided to remain in human form so that you can see me. Uh, And and he thought he would do people a favor by meeting with them. Maybe Pharaoh felt the same way, that since I'm God, I will show my great presence and my goodness by allowing people to come talk to me or something. I just don't know. But Moses and Aaron, they they go right to him. It could, And that's a great point. He, he said, could it be somehow that the name of Moses could go back? I mean, think about uh, that. The word could be that Moses somehow was connected in the kingdom. Because remember, he if he just stayed in the household, he, would, he, was the, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the other Pharaoh. So it could be that they'd say, well, this, maybe this man has some kind of connections. Maybe I ought to hear what he has to say since he at one time was in the kingdom. Who knows? But, uh, I mean, it's really amazing. I feel the same way because how does the most powerful king in the world allow Jewish slaves to come talk to him and argue with him? You'd think he'd say, oh, look, you talk back to me one time, I'll kill you all. But the truth is they said the personal God is our God. And he said, I don't know you, God. And they basically said it doesn't matter whether you know him or not. You're going to see his power. Oh, I mean, it's amazing. And the plagues start. And what does what does he do? The plagues come. He calls them in and says, "Okay, okay, okay. Tell, okay, tell your God, uh, everything's okay. I'll I'll let you go." And so he stops the plague and he goes, "I changed my mind. Changed my mind. You can't go." Then another plague. I mean, it's just it is an amazing story. And uh, we'll give some handouts on the different plagues and the gods they represented and the best we can tell and all that. So there's there's a lot of good stuff. What else? Any other questions or comments? Yes. Do, do we have any signs at all showing us approximately how Moses' son was when Deborah, uh says, son, come here? Now, uh, what we have to figure is Moses was 40 when he went there mm-hmm. or around 40 okay and and we don't know how long it was before he married her we don't but but the the son would be under forty, so he, he i mean he could be as old as a thirty six thirty seven year old man, or it could be a younger son, which could be make let's say he's thirty thirty two come here, son <laughs> Dad, you should have done this earlier. let me just say that i'd like to I'd like to voice my opinion right now. This should have been done earlier if we're going to do this at all. <laughs> I don't th- well, you know, and the truth is, uh, in, the, in the patriarchal family system, there wasn't any arguments. Whatever the father said, whatever the priest of the family said, the, the head of the family was the priest of the family, and whatever they said pretty much went. Even in the Jewish culture, when it's the father that tells the son when he can go pick his bride. So it, it's a patriarchal family. So it, you're right. Anything else? But I I, I I see what you're saying. I think he was because I think he was trained by his mother. You remember, he said that he knew that he was the redeemer of Israel. He knew that. I think he knew that he was Jewish, that he was special, that he wasn't Egyptian. And when he was 40 years old, that's when he said he decided to leave being an Egyptian in Pharaoh's household and going out with his own people. So I think he knew the things. I, I personally think he did. But I don't know why... He would do one son because it says sons and it doesn't indicate does it indicate that there's two there or just one that 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 she does that to. Right. It it doesn't seem it's uh, it's it's singular. And so it just seems to me that impossible, if I'm guessing it's probably the youngest son. The longer he's further away from. Huh. Well, it says sons, so there's two of them with him right now, and I, they all go back. They don't. They don't go with him. So it is amazing. Yeah, there's no way to know. Probably the the oldest any of those sons could be would probably be like 38, 39. I mean, that's the oldest. Could probably not that old. Probably 37, 38 would be the most. I mean, because if he got there when he's 40 and get married here soon and had a child soon after that, you know. It would have to be 38 or 39 would be the oldest they could possibly be. Anything else? Okay, thanks. Thanks. I'm sorry I went too long tonight.